Welcome, welcome, welcome to On Democracy FP Wellman. I am your host, Fred Wellman. You're right in the right place, Midas Touch or our network, wherever you're looking, listening and guiding. It's great to have you here. Man, there's so much going on. <laughs> I mean, the George Santos, I mean, I'm going to go on for a while. There's so much to talk about. I got incredible guests to talk about it this week. As always, I'm thrilled to be back after the holiday. I'm glad to have you here. You know, let's get on with the show. Oh man, welcome back. As I mentioned, I am still Fred Wellman after the music. This is On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. You are in the right place at the right time. As always, make sure you like, share, say hi, leave a comment. You know I'm replying to you. I'm up all night on Friday night talking to you guys. So I really appreciate being here. Man, it is as always as crazy as it's always in. Not just in Washington. It got, got kind of weird down in Florida, which I'm not going to talk about it because it's, it's so bizarre that the co-founder of Moms Demand and her husband or Moms for Liberty and Ooh, not Moms Man, but Moms for Liberty, and oh my God, it's crazy down there. I'm not going to get into that. But up and up as we speak, they're 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 debating where to kick George Santos out of the Congress. There's a, a million different things going on. There's a lot to talk about. You know, meanwhile, we're still trying to run a government. We're still trying to get ready, as we talked about last week on the show with the special solo episode. You know, I, and I and I very I think I was very clear. You know, there are real challenges, and that first part of the show last week was a lot of those challenges. And I kind of want to talk about some of those pieces there with their guests. But you also don't forget as we talk today with Stephen. Don't forget what I said. We are winning. You know, we're on the right side of this. There's things we have to do. The work is ahead of us. The issues that people care about are on our side. And I think you'll get that theme in this conversation today about the work that has to be done and the threats we face and how we're going to get there. So I'm just thrilled to have a, a guest I've wanted for a while. I, my very first Substack I think I subscribed to when I joined Substack was America, America, written by Stephen Beshoff. Stephen, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. I, for those who don't know, Stephen Beshoff is an award-winning content creator of many ways, writer, journalist, editor, filmmaker. Your bio is incredible. Consistent in his work, his passion for writing, and he has a belief in the transformative power of story, which you, if you read his stuff, you know, as I mentioned, he speaks a lot through his newsletter, America, America, focused on politics, society, democracy, and justice. Just launched a new video series called Media Misses. So the timing couldn't have better. I couldn't think of a better person to have this moment than you, sir. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Thank you, Fred. Happy to do it. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a, a kind of a moment, but I'd like to say it's a moment, not not an endless series of moments that are just going to keep unfolding. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, we're getting into it now, right? One thing I've been saying a lot on the show, Stephen, is, you know, people haven't really been paying attention. It's funny. Last week, I highlighted. <laughs> so I, I live here in Missouri, and uh, the, a local Republican candidate actually ran a poll on their state Senate district, which is in western St. Louis County, which is a pretty well-educated and engaged community, right? And uh, it was a Republican primary poll. There was three elected officials and one former elected official, or two and one, running for the Senate seat. Now we're a year out, right? And the number one choice on it was 70% we're undecided, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and I, I even, what, what you know, missing? yeah, you know, it's not noticing. Right. And so, and it gets into that. I mean, actually, we'll just start there since we went, led into it. You know, you, one of the pieces you wrote the other day actually was about this indifference, right? And I think it's a theme that you want to talk about that, you know, it's the indifference. How do we electrify the electorate and, and make them wake? And it kind of does lead into everything else we're going to talk about in this conversation is, you know, this right. indifference that we worry about. I and mean, I think you've written on the topic of how do we, actually, it's funny. I was actually reading your Substack today. I think you blew up your comments a couple of weeks ago because you asked your readers, you know, what what do they think you should do for, you know, to wake people up? And what, what was everybody saying? And what's your thoughts on that? Well, look, I, it, 
you know, there's a lot of people who think that the effort should be to try to reel in some of the Republicans who maybe are centrist, try to reel in some of the, yeah. you know, even some of the Trump voters, uh, you know, that we need to expand that population. My, my view is that you have a large population of Democrats uh, who are indifferent. You just have to look at previous elections and what the turnout was like, right? How many tens of millions of people who didn't vote? And right. and so, you know, if there's a time when we need to activate people who have been convinced that uh, maybe not this time for one reason or another, you know, I've got this problem with Biden or, you know, maybe uh, as their memory fades, Trump isn't really so bad. You know, any of those kind of things that might play out. Uh, there's nothing more important than to, in my view, to actually speak to the choir, expand the choir and, and convince people that they need to do the work to talk to their friends and talk to their neighbors and, and uh, yep. you know, talk to their family members, the ones they can still talk to and, <laughs> and motivate them to, to, you know, go to the polls and do the work, the basic fundamental work of democracy. Right. And it's funny how often I talk to people, they say, well, Fred, what can I do other than vote? And actually kind of in my last week, I did kind of a solo show for the holiday. And it's one of the things I talked about. There are really wonderful ways you can get involved. Pick a candidate, pick a race, phone bank, canvas, send postcards. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand there is opportunities to plug into our, our network. And I tell a lot of people, kind of talking about we talk about this Moms for Liberty thing, right? Go to your school board meetings. You know, go to your city council, go to your county council meetings, actually see the work that's being done. And by the way, be there to counter some of the crazy stuff because there's some real democracy happening right in your town, right? Right. But but here's the thing. I, I mean, I focus on, you know, storytelling is what I do. I lead yeah. something in a university called the Narrative Storytelling Initiative. Yeah. Right? It, it's, it's operating in lots of different storytelling modes purposefully because people learn, people consume information in different ways. Yes. Some people read, some people watch, some people listen. You know, there, there's all different ways to get to people. And so, you know, I think that the hard work of this time that's so urgent is to be able to get to people where they are are and find some way to activate them, especially if they're those weird, you know, fence sitters or that they're in some ways, you know, convinced it's not their problem. Well, I, that's brilliant. And, and that's kind of where we come from. It's, you know, we write, we do video, we, we try to hit people, we try to give them the information they need to, to have direct yeah. conversations, right? We, we have to yeah. arm each other to have these direct conversations. And you're right, there's no one way to get that to people, right? You have to, and, and story is the key. And, and to that topic, your new video series, which I love your first one called Media Misses, um, with your colleague from the Chicago um, Times, right? Uh, you know, so was, well, he was at the Chicago Sun Times, and he was sort of the former Metro editor of the Chicago go. Tribune, Mark Jacob. Uh, and he did a really good kind of media critic in this period, yeah. which is how we sort of connected with him. And you know, I've been wanting to do more media criticism. You know, all of these stories get layered, I think, in meaningful ways in terms of who's who's framing and how they're going about framing what's going on. Uh, those who sort of lost the sense of how urgent the problem is, um, who are missing it in some way or glossing over in some way the, you know, the dangers that are on our doorstep. And so, um, you know, so this was an idea to really specifically in short form, not 40 minutes, not no, 50 they're quick. minutes, but in five to seven minutes, 
I think the first one is eight minutes or five to seven minutes to be able to pick a story and talk about what's wrongheaded about it and and what it uh, what it missed and how it ought to you know be handled in a in a different way. So every week we're going to try to take a hard look at one story, uh, you know, usually a news story, but a media story of some sort or another, and look at uh, how the journalist missed it. And it's a you know it's both a chance to look at the you know, the the state of journalism, right, and the reluctance to say things directly, say things uh, and confront the danger that we're in directly, you know, not feel like you have to pull back and, and be careful and polite that this is a time to say things precisely as they are to tell the truth. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and if not, you know, the, the consequences couldn't be more grave. Well, that's it. And the timing was great. I, I mentioned this Columbia Journalism Review article I read, and they analyzed their front page stories in the New York Times, the Washington Post, hundreds of them. And they found that, like, I, well, I think for the 2022 cycle, barely three stories on the on the New York Times front page even talked about domestic political policy with literally dozens and dozens of stories that were simple, what they call horse race, right? It's this right. constant, there's, right. this, there's this attraction to talking about who's up and who's down. And we talk about it a lot in the show. Matter of fact, the theme last week of our show, I stole from some great, smart people online. <laughs> was was that it's not the it's not the odds, it's the stakes, right? It, 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 there's too much discussion of what the odds are, who's up, who's down today. You know, oh, well, Nikki Haley got the Koch brothers. Give her, you know, it, it's 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 not about what are the stakes? Like, what are the what are the policies going to get us in trouble? And and, right. and that's approach we have to take. You know, it's funny, and and in that story we talked about, I hinted at, at the beginning about this the situation in Florida, and, and and to keep it simple, it came out this week that the the chairman of the the Florida GOP um, apparently was involved in a consensual three way relationship with his wife and another woman whatever but he's accused of sexually assaulting apparently this third woman and then a thing but what i found interesting too was that story was broken by an org by a local group it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a big it wasn't the new york times that broke right. it it wasn't it was right. it was like it was a government watchdog group that had the florida trident it's called <laughs> right they're the because they heard the rumors and they did the due diligence they did a they did a, a sunshine whatever sunshine law act and they got the police report and this gentleman had been arrested good journalism is not what we think it is anymore right it's different yeah. than it used to be isn't it yeah, sometimes you have, you know, again, the traditional mainstream that's reluctant to get into that sort of right. thing. Like, you know, it's not their it's not their terrain. But of course, it it is the terrain because the, these are questions of values and morals, which at this time is exactly the point. You know, are you you know, are you uh, advocating for democracy? Are you advocating for, you know, uh, working for making lives better and, and expanding rights and so forth? Or, or using your positions to uh, to strip away rights and, uh, you know, strip away the, the kind of governance that's gotten us to the better places in our country. So, you know, that... Uh, that kind of behavior, you know, under different times and under different circumstances, there may be legitimately more re reason to be reluctant. I don't think there's a reason now. Right. I think the, those barriers have been broken down. In this case, it is apparently a crime. Apparently, there was a sexual assault involved. So obviously, that's a very serious issue yeah. of crime. But yeah. even more so that the, his spouse, for whatever, you know, she's a co-founder of Mama's Liberty. She's a school board member. She literally ran on her platform was bringing, quote, religious values to the school system, the public school system. And yet, apparently, that wasn't part of her. You know, so there is a, a, a note, while everyone we deal with is, apparently, the hypocrisy gene has been removed from the GOP. I don't know how. <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're led to believe. I mean, it, it's a 
a it's not a bug it's a feature right yeah. i mean the 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 pattern seems to be going on over and over again yeah. uh, and you know look it's a it um i i blame you for all these things meanwhile that's exactly what what i'm doing so i know a, a whole lot about it Right. Well, that's it, and 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 we see that, and and it, it arcs up. It arcs up to D.C., where George Santos is is uh, is probably likely to lose his seat anytime now uh, as he fights. But the hypocrisy that he's in himself is accusing of of his peers. I mean, it is a constant um, value and string through the conversation about our the, about the GOP and others' um, disabilities, and and it goes to you know I think we we've talked about a little bit in our conversations. Twitter, for example, right? I mean, it, 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 it is it is going on with Elon. If you saw Elon's appearance this week with the New York Times, I don't know how you could have missed it. <laughs> you know, where, where he tells his advertiser to F, I'll just say GFY, <laughs> go F yourself. Uh, you go know. F yourself. Yeah, right. yeah. But, but what I thought, I mean. And he didn't say at one time, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Sorkin was sort of shocked when he heard it the first time and and musk said it again and then yeah. i think he said it for a third time yeah. and then he specifically targeted to bob Iger, yeah. the head of disney yeah. um you know this is this is where we are right the, that we have uh, a billionaire who has uh destroyed what once was uh an environment where actually you had a discourse that was wide uh that was significant it was a way to get news and information reliably yep. uh, and, and and it was a way for progressive communities to actually connect and build and uh, communicate with each other in meaningful ways i mean i've made all kinds of meaningful contacts with people and and you know had a chance to be able to not only uh say what was on my mind but but really to hear from others what was on theirs and what he's done is and i think he's done it consciously and he's done it methodically he's destroyed it um, I mean, it's not only about how much value it's lost, right, from the $44 million purchase, partly funded by the Saudis, but it's somebody who's uh, obviously interested under the guise of free speech to be able to prioritize uh, the right-wing extremists and the bigots and, uh, you know, the Nazis and the neo-Nazis and the anti-Semites and, and all of that. And, yeah. uh I'm sure you've had the same experiences. Oh yeah, it's truly hate speech. Incredible yeah, I mean, abuse. Yeah, uh, just and it, it's so different than it used to be. I mean, I, I'm I'm a Lincoln Project guy. I mean, I was the. <laughs> I mean, believe I, me, I, you know something about abuse. I've seen some stuff. You know, it's whatever. But you know, there was recourse where. Like I, I got, I think I got doxxed basically, or, or someone had posted pictures of my daughter um, and made memes of that I think they'd stolen from my personal Facebook, but they were posting pictures of my daughter uh, and very, very disgusting things. And and I was able to report that um, there was, there was somebody I knew had used to work there and they were helped me. And guess what? It, it, that guy was blocked. I mean, he was removed from the platform because he shouldn't have been doing that. Now, forget about it, man. Like there's just no point. There's no one there, first yeah. of all. Yeah. And so they and look, the, so the meaningful and the meaningful thing from from my perspective, it's not only the the, the sadness about Twitter, which once was a thing and a reliable environment, is that it's uh, it's broken down, it's fractured the whole 
communication ecosystem and and therefore you know i don't know about you but i'm on six different social media platforms right, right now it's exhausting but i also feel like i don't have the kind of uh connection with people through social media the way that i did and you know frankly that's why for me the Substack is that much more important because that's an opportunity for me to really build a community you know of my own uh you know of people who are drawn to whatever it is that i might want to write about and 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 to uh, create communication between them and it's been growing and growing and growing and you know in part it may be growing exactly because uh, Twitter what once was Twitter has been you know destroyed but uh you know I, I think it's important uh if we can't have uh, the whole ecosystem on one platform you know it just becomes that much more important that we devote energy to you know to some of these smaller platforms that have the ability to grow uh and to be able to create the kind of meaningful communication that needs to happen yeah and and it, it does go to that uh, it, it, the disbursement the real-time nature that was twitter that i when i joined twitter the ability to reach out to people um, when I joined Twitter originally is 2009. I tell a story often. Um, I don't know if I ever told it on this platform, but I was still in the army and I was involved in an organization called the mission continues, which is based here in St. Louis. And I was one of their first volunteers. I was their, their DC guy, even though I was still, it was, I was in the army still. And, um, I just joined Twitter and Craig Newmark, if you know, from Craigslist sure. tweeted out and he tweeted on the early, this is early days, right? Only when there was yeah. hundreds of thousands of people in there at millions and he tweeted, Hey, I, I really love to find a, a veterans organization I could support. He's, you know, he gives his money away like crazy. So I'd love to find a veterans organization support. And I replied on Twitter, Hey, you know, I've got this organization that I work with the mission continues. I don't think there was DMs then, believe it or not, but he replied, right? He goes, Hey, send me an email about it. Craig at Craigslist.com. That literally is his email. He puts it out on Twitter and I'm like, okay. So I emailed Craig Newmark. Uh, the founder of Craigslist, he was a billionaire, whatever, and said, hey, here's this group, sent a little prospectus, introduced him to the founder, and bing, bang, boom, he freaking donated to him, <laughs> you know, and and he's still involved in the veterans community. He's a huge, he's on the board of Iraq, Afghanistan, Veterans of America. I mean, and that was yeah. that power of that platform, that ability to yeah. reach. I know people who, who are into it now understand that there's, that was yeah. so unique about that platform when it started, yeah. right? I mean, you know, I'll say, I mean, I, I mean, I have have lots of uh, followers, people that I'm connected with, lots of Hollywood people, right. lots of some very high profile people that, you know, I I like them. I liked them before, but I would have had no way to connect with them necessarily. Right. And, and, you know, and, and instead, you know, there was an opportunity to have a real communication. And in some cases, you know, it led to you know, doing something together offline and uh, out in the real world. So, um, you know, that that's broken. Uh, I don't take it personally obviously but i but i look at it as being part of this effort uh i think a systematic effort i don't know all of the motivations on uh behind what uh elon musk is doing but i'm pretty clear that that he had an interest in breaking progressive communities and prioritizing the you know the bigots and the right-wingers and all the people that you know that he thought are part of uh his version of planet earth yeah yeah, that was quite the thing that planet earth will judge right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know it's yeah. and as this, if he's the commander of planet earth by yeah, the way wow. and this is also the problem right which is that you know the richest man in the world 
who's obviously a mentally unstable, I'm not going to diagnose him clinically, um, but, but this person who thinks that he has ultimate power, that norms don't apply to him, and he can say and do whatever he feels like it. And, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the, you know, of the ex-president uh, who has the same mentality. You know, there's a, something about uh, the old expression is, uh, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Well, these guys seem to have, you know, taken that notion and proven it uh, in pretty pretty vivid fashion. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go into it. The next talk will be our the course that how this all plays into that coarsening of our discussions. Where we're going to take a really brief second. We have some amazing sponsors, uh, both human and, and and human will be hearing from us. Let's talk to our sponsors real quick. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo or a wacky message board. No, we're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Now, not everything in a bad habit is bad. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of an electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. And instead of chemicals, Fume uses all-natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing anxiety while breaking your bad habit. The first time I used fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up and I feel pretty cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and honestly, even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. So join Fume, accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Now head to tryfume.com and use code FRED to save 10% when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code FRED to save an additional 10% off your order today. Heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have a family you want to spend time with, is so important. So important. So we could all benefit from heart healthy energy. Now, one of the best ways to get some by supporting your blood pressure and circulation. Superbeats hard chews are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure. They're plant-based and stimulant-free, so you get a green boost without the jitters of caffeine. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants of Superbeats are clinically shown to be nearly two times more effective at promoting normal blood pressure than a healthy lifestyle alone. Superbeats hard chews are incredibly delicious and so much better than any alternative supplements out there. I take my Superbeats hard chews each morning, and it's really kickstarted my morning routine. After taking my Superbeats hard chews, I feel like I have more energy and I'm ready to take on the day. Superbeats is the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for cardiovascular health support. It's blood pressure support you can trust. Superbeats hard chews support healthy circulations. So you not only get blood pressure support, you also get productive, heart healthy energy without the crash. Now, Double your potential with Superbeats Heart Shoes. Get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Shoes and 15% off your first order by going to super, GetSuperBeats.com and using promo code FRED. That's GetSuperBeats.com, -E code FRED. Check out him, Superbeats. You won't regret it. Okay, we're back. So 
the, the thing about Twitter, and we, we talked a little bit about before the break, is you know that, that there has been a coarsening. I mean, look, Twitter was always a little bit a little wild west. I mean, that's that's okay. I mean, I'm I'm not one to criticize. I drop more f bombs on there than I do on this mug. <laughs> you know, that's that's been my thing. I always have. Steve Smith used to call me up and, and criticize me for it, which is fine. But our overall discourse, and I think you wrote a piece about how 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 vile, how coarsening our discourse has become, and 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 it it, it you, you wrote out a come on the um, Trump's Thanksgiving Day message. If you don't mind, I'll quote you. You said, you know, but it served uh, Trump Thanksgiving message, which was so disgusting. But it should serve once again as a warning and reminder of our collective responsibility to push back against his further degrading of public discourse and normalization of violence and hate, twin dangers to our democratic society which i thought was a terrific way to to, to write that is you know the, the the things the 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 pushing i mean like, like we were just talking about in the pre-show about he just i guess the gag order went back into effect <laughs> you know for that very reason and, I mean, and, and by the way you have a, a judge who said that he's going to rigorously and vigorously defend it so uh you know we'll see right uh, is a is this a time actually where at least this judge has decided that he's going to stand up to the mob style president and push pushback and and demonstrate you know finally that he's not intimidated by him and he's not fearful of the consequences of doing it that we seems like we have had had have had happen again and again so um you know this this issue for me in some ways i mean it actually goes back to the early days of twitter because for me because i uh, you know, it's at a certain point I was pretty neutral, you know, fact based always, but neutral, uh, you know, sharing ideas and so forth. And then I made a decision in the early days of Trump that I needed to say exactly what I was thinking and feeling and differentiate what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's false and, yep. you know, what's normal and what's crazy. And partly it was this fear of normalization of this of this kind of degrading, you know, conversation, this kind of vile rhetoric that, uh, you know, here we are this many years later. And unfortunately, people have grown accustomed to it. Um, I think it's part of the explanation of why you have 30 to 40 percent of the you know, Republican Party who believes in political violence as a justifiable response to uh, the, you know, the country that they see disappearing. So, you know, this combination of an and systematic expression of violence and hate, you know, at a certain point, you know, people that some turn off, but some people are they just they just don't, you know, it no longer registers as a problem because it's so it's so common. And so, you know, in some ways that the conversation about the you know degrading discourse could have been written, you know, five or six years ago, but but here we are still dealing with it. Yeah, and it's funny. I actually saw right before, as I was prepping for the show, um, I I should have said to my computer, but the, the viewers know I'm just completely absent-minded. <laughs> but there was a, there was a graph that we put out about how much coverage there was in the first week of Hillary Clinton's deplorables comment on media right. versus Trump's comment of calling us vermin, right? right? And it was like 54 minutes on average uh, of coverage for the first week for Clinton, but like three minutes. <laughs> of coverage about the other guy, a former president himself, not a candidate, but a former president right. calling many Americans vermin. Um, there right. has, there, there's become a lower, a lower standard, isn't there? 
Right. Well, and this is the thing. I, you know, there's there has been a legitimate conversation about do you want to repeat it? Do you want to amplify it? Right. You know, do you actually help him by amplifying? Uh, and I and I used to worry about that. Right. I used to worry about the repeating of it because again, it gets into people's heads and it repeats and it repeats and people get accustomed to it. Yeah. That, that's a problem. But on the other hand, we're at a point now, you know, and I think a real dangerous sort of knife point where this stuff has to be uh, highlighted and spot lighted, talked about, reminded, and I think over and over and over again. I mean, it's, you know, there was an article today, Robert Kagan in the Washington Post, uh, which I'll I'll read the headline of it, which makes the point, a Trump dictatorship is increasingly inevitable. We should stop pretending. Wow. (laughs) Right. And and then he goes on to lay out, you know, all all the ways that that's true, including that we're now... 13 weeks away from essentially Trump being uh, being the nominee. Right. Uh, 13 weeks from now is, you know, eight eight uh, primaries that happen in January and February, 13 that happen in March 5th. Uh, right. That's 21 primaries that will have happened uh, by that. By then it's over. Right. 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 So, so, you know, I've been trying to think in terms of, you know, we have a year to, to sort things out. Well, we don't. I mean, we're, you know, and and the point that Kagan is making, and I think it's a really important one, is that we're, you know, once that hits, whatever reluctance there has been, uh, um, well, let's put it the other way around, you know, whatever willingness that Republicans have had to say something critical about Trump, that's going to all go away, you know, once he's the presumptive nominee. That's a really good point. And it's funny you say that. I hadn't I had not thought of that. This is that's a very good point, right? It, there will come a point where they have to get on board. They've all promised yep. to get on board. So whatever yep. light criticism there's been to date will disappear completely and they'll all get online. Then we've got a clear I mean, part mm-hmm. of me is an old soldier likes clarity in my opposition, if you know what I'm saying. It's a, there will be a clarity of of who we are up against and we can clarify. And I think maybe, maybe perhaps, I guess I'm an optimist. See, this is the weird thing. If you don't watch Stephen, if you don't know me, I have this weird optimism streak. People can't believe it. <laughs> you know, 22 years in the army, you know, and then, you know, being a Lincoln Project guy. But no, I really do. I am an optimistic guy. I do believe in our country. I mean, that's what I fought for. That's why I wore the, I proudly wore the flag on my shoulder for my entire adult, most of my adult life is that there's an optimism. I do believe in this country and the right of our country and that here right matters is my my friend Alex Vinman's book right here on the on the table says um I, I do hope and, and I point out a lot Stephen and if regular viewers have heard this bit before but it's easy to forget that my I was with the Lincoln project in the latter part of the campaign I joined in August of 2020 but they only formed the Lincoln project in December of 2019 their first commercial the breakout hit of the Lincoln project was morning in America and that was in May so you know, I, I do take hope that the battle hasn't truly been joined yet, if you will. Right. Oh, you know what I mean? I, I think that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think I mean, it's scary to think about March 5th as sort of the, a kind of end of the line. But it, it underscores, I think, what I said at the beginning, which is, you know, the people that we need to speak to are the indifferent ones. You know, the tens of millions of Americans that sat out the last election who thought it was somebody else's problem, not theirs. You know, I think it was a, a 67 percent, just under 67 percent that wow. did vote. 
Um, but that means you had, you know, roughly 70 million people that's uh, registered voters that sat out. Uh, that, that's a lot of people that we have the potential to respond to and motivate. And, uh, you know, the, the Republicans, the Trump voters and all that, you know, that that's a problem for another time. Right now, I think it's about activating the choir, making sure that the choir sings better and is more voluminous. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really the work. And so, you know, I look, I think about this issue of indifference a lot in terms of the climate crisis, for example. Sure. Um, you know, why is it that people don't care more when it's possible to look into a future of existential, you know, death and destruction? Well, I mean, I think we have time and I think there's things that we can do. But the biggest problem isn't, you know, who's a denier of climate change, but rather how large the population is of people who accept that it's a real thing, but but just think it's not their problem or they're, you know, despairing or they're somehow overwhelmed and think that they are not capable of having agency. So I think the same thing is operating here with democracy. That's great insight. I agree. And and then the and the threat is real. I think you've written about the which there's the project 2025 stuff and the, the the even darker one of the agenda 47 as they call it, which is the pure Trump one. And and the threat isn't just Trump. I think you and I talked about that a little bit too is that you know while Trump is a, is a, is a, the the immediate sort of the face of the danger, the Heritage Foundation's project was 80 organizations and and where in the past Heritage just sort of wrote of a guidebook to say, "Hey, here's our policy book." This is much different. The project 2025 approach where I just did a video for minus touch this week um i hope people watch it it's a good one <laughs> about the personnel aspect the schedule f um the dismant the recruiting of fifty four thousand people to go immediately into the government i mean what people have to understand is there's only four thousand existing political appointment positions within the federal government which is a lot um for each administration to fill and they are they struggle to fill that these guys are recruiting fifty four thousand people for their very malevolent plan to take right, over our federal right. government. And, and let's let's end the independent judiciary. Let's right. end the, you know the nonpartisan civil service. Yep. You know, let's make everyone there in service to the to the chief, yep. right? In, in service to the dictator. And yeah. you know, look, I, it, it's sometimes shocking to think that they're being so vivid and and clear now. They're telling us exactly what they want. And, you know, obviously what underlies this is this belief in the unitary executive, right? right to put all the power into the presidency. You know, we have a problem because the president, uh, the presidential uh, office has too much power. But the the fact is we're being told exactly what it is. And, you know, even even without a Donald Trump, I mean, there there is a growing infrastructure, a network of people that's the future that they want yeah. uh, and they're telling us and so you know it's back to this question frankly of storytelling and communication which is how do we communicate with people in a way that people grasp the gravity of what's going on and the potential danger that lies ahead and uh, in part i'm thinking that you know this is about a uh, frankly a lack of social imagination right it's a lack of imagination about what that future looks like because people are comfortable and and somehow convinced that well you know that won't happen here or mm -hmm. that won't happen to me right I, I think a lot about this uh plan that's uh afoot to you know uh you know to round up millions of migrants uh put them in detention camps 
uh, and then deport them without due process. Well, you know, some people might say, well, that's migrants, not my problem. But my expectation is if you set up a structure like that, there's a lot of uh, ancillary people. There's a lot of collateral damage that's going to touch a lot of other people beyond migrants. Well, that's it. And and it's something I did. I, I, I keep plugging these videos. I've been doing a whole series. I've done, I think, so far, like three videos on on this topic of Project Twenty Twenty Five, and and I tell the story. I, you'll laugh. YouTube actually kind of like downgraded the like the ads on this video because I talked about what I mm. saw in Iraq. I mean, for me as an Iraq veteran uh, of of the the uh, OIF, I was there for the first iteration that first year uh, with the Hundred First Airborne, and I. I a big part of my job was working with local civilians. I had, I controlled a, a swath of the area around our base in northern Iraq, and that led me to be the guy who Iraqis would bring their claims against the former government to. And so I was sort of a government representative, which was weird, but here we are. I was a helicopter pilot, go figure, <laughs> uh, among our jobs. But but the, the stories you heard about what life was like under Saddam Hussein for 35 years and the very dark things where people were scooped up in the night or where a story that really struck me in the on that topic of the immigration raids is a guy told me that under Saddam, what you could do is like if your neighbor had better land, if their village had better land, all you had to do was call the government and say, hey, they're, you know, they're insurgents or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're traitors or they're conspiring. They've got hidden weapons and the army would raid the village and take off, take people off. And guess what? Land was available all of a sudden, right? I mean, it was, they were using this dark mechanism that was supposed to, you know, keep the peace um, against each other. And there's no reason to believe we shouldn't, see, we wouldn't see the same thing. Right. What, you know, I mean, what if you don't like your Mexican neighbors? Eh, illegal or not, I don't like their music. It's not, a, yeah, it's not a stretch, yeah. right? You know, it's not a stretch. Yeah. And look, I, I think that the challenge is people don't want to imagine these things, right? So so the tricky work is to be able to, you know, articulate what that looks like, give people the ability to, to visualize a future like that, rewind from that point and look at, you know, is that the world that you want? You know, what can you do between now and that possible future? So So that isn't the inevitable outcome. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a real work to do. And look, I think the other thing is, you know, your point that you're an optimist by nature. Well, you know, we can ring the alarm bell uh, hard for the next year and we can talk about the dark stuff, but we also have to talk about the reasons for optimism and the yeah. reasons for hope yeah. so that people understand that, you know, that that also needs to fuel people's belief in in, in the future we can have. Yeah. And, and good things are happening. And it's good to see um, the Biden agenda is, is working the economy is turning around we, we avoided yeah. what should have been recession um you know if you just go gas prices turkey was lower you know all these things there is there is hope and it's not perfect no, nothing's ever going to be perfect you know it's like i defend the civil service but by god it made me crazy when i was in the army <laughs> you know that's okay that's, Show that's me a man who loves bureaucracy right i know like, a dangerous bureaucrat right i mean i get it, it it was uncomfortable for me to defend it but also by the same token i like the idea of government officials being tell me being able to tell me no and not get fired for it but the same token there is good things happening it's hard to see all all this all the all the smoke and mirrors around mr biden's age, you know, President Biden's age around uh, around Vice President Harris, you know, it's all smoke um, that is obscuring the good things that are happening for so many and, and the belief that we can bet better. And I think I want to go back and I want to probably the place to tie that bow on this conversation because you are, we can tell the story better. And it's funny, as we were talking about these dark days, these people being swooped up, there's been such amazing examples of how we can tell the story of what's to come and, and turn around, which I don't know if you saw that ad, remember there's a great ad, I think Midas did it, which was, you know, the woman and the daughter being pulled over by the police 
as they're trying to get an abortion, right? You know, where are you going? You know, the, the Handmaid's Tale, that that great ad that was done this last cycle, I think it was in, I want to say Ohio, where, you know, there was a, the, the Republican guys in the bedroom with the, the couple, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, there is that we can tell the stories effectively to, to bring it home to people. Um, the wonderful ad that was done, I guess, a young woman who, who suffered from uh, not being able to get an abortion and, and, and got very mm -hmm. sick because of it. We're going to have to bring those stories out to, to, to shape this so people understand a, a nuanced policy and how it can affect them. I guess that's where storytellers like you come in, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. And, and I think it's also, you know, it, it's articulating what are the underlying values, you know, that you do care about, right? right? Um, so, you know, the flip side of this kind of dark vision of, of immigration is, you know, do you believe in equality and diversity? Do those things matter? Do you actually realize that the country's growth and, and you know, prosperity, you know, the beauty of America has largely been an outcome of uh, having this incredible diversity population with all the ideas and and insights and uh you know ambitions that come along with that you know the uh, that's the flip side so it's almost like you know with every one of these kind of dark stories to be able to make sure we also give light to the to the flip sides that uh you know that in essence describes what could be lost if uh you know if we don't do the right thing a year from now yeah, it's easy to forget that this country was built on immigration. I, I had the funniest life story. On my father's side, we're OGs. We 1640 Puritans, mm. if you will, in Boston. But my mom's side, I'm a second generation immigrant. My, my mom was, you know, first. Uh, her parents both came from Italy uh, in the in the early uh, aughts, and uh, and so you know that this is this uh, this is the American story. The American story is this blending of those, uh, and there is different populations, and it is it is the welcoming arms of that liberty that we love. It's what we defend. Uh, it's frustrating to see this argument going on Capitol Hill right now about Ukraine aid and Israel aid being tied into immigration reform, which is really stopping it. Um, yeah. it yeah. I mean, it's, it's why for me, I mean, I made a point of like writing about, you know, the speech that Hakeem Jeffries gave as soon as he got the, you know, minority leader's position. And it was a, a, a piece all about, it was a speech all about sort of diversity uh, as, as a country's strength. You know, and every now and then I'll go back to that. And, you know, Biden has something to say about that, too. But just to remind uh, people, like, th these are the things that are at stake. You know, th these, this is a, you know, this is an existential battle over values. Yeah. Um, uh, what kind of country do you actually want to live in? You know, do you really want to, you know, uh, see the end of the American democratic experiment or or don't you? And, and if that, you know, resonates, if the idea of being able to sustain something that's been going on for, you know, well over 200 years, you know, we're marching right up to 250 years as a country, you know, uh, this is not the time to be, you know, uh, letting it all get thrown away. I mean, I, I go back and, you know, right now and then about, you know, the Gettysburg Address, for example, you know, where you have the ultimate phrase of, you know, for the, uh, of the people, for the people, by the people, and, uh, you know, the, the sort of commitment that was made under, you know, the most dire circumstances um, you know same thing i'll go back and and write sometimes about frederick Douglass, you know who experienced incredible torture as a enslaved person um, but went on to uh, to provide this kind of incredible public role as somebody uh arguing for advocating for a vision of a democratic america yeah the belief in it and the change that comes with it you know we, we see it here i live in missouri and um the missouri has experienced a higher death rate than a birth rate for the last three years and a higher exfiltration than an infiltration in other words the, the state is shrinking 
Um, these are these are these are facts, you know. And so we built this country by welcoming in others and 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 helping them settle and helping them find work and helping us be a better country. And there's always been resistance to it. I mean, history is you know raft with yeah, again and again and again, and right? And um, again, but in the end, it works out, right? Like I said, my my people, the Italians, weren't exactly welcomed. <laughs> you know, there's a, everybody. Oh, we love the, the the hill here in St. Louis is the Italian section. Yeah, they had their own section because they weren't welcome anywhere else. You know, it's easy to forget that part. You know, we 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 have Chinatown because nobody wanted them anywhere else but that little district, right? So, um, but here we are, and and I do want to find hope and hope. And with that, I guess we it's a great place to stop. And and I, I love that you continue to you do write hopeful. You do write. I mean, the the, the title of your your newsletter is America. America it is a belief in the the future of what we're fighting for and what can be, uh, and the understand there's work to do it. So I, I think yeah. I appreciate that, right? Thank you. Thank you. And uh, look, we have, uh, I'm going to say it again, we have a year. Yeah. Right? This is the time. I mean, come March, you know, it might be even more clear how urgent it is, but we have a year to be able to to voice, you know, uh, our belief in, in the country that we want uh, and uh, tell our friends and tell our neighbors and tell our family members and, and do what we can to make sure that a year from now, you know, we're not all crying in our soup, but we're, uh, you know, encouraged that the, the tyrannizing minority, you know, failed to accomplish what they were after. Yeah, it's as as a person who's definitely on the list since I'm being sued. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to have a conversation with you a year from now about what country we're playing. Yeah, which country I'm fleeing to and which gulag. I mean, I used to joke with my son who was going to get the top bunk in the gulag. <laughs> um, yeah, I it, used to be a, it used to be a funny joke, you know. Yeah, it's not as funny anymore. Weird, right? Yeah. You know, especially in the, for me the last three weeks with me when I've suddenly found myself being being sued over three tweets you know it, it, it is obvious that there is a list um there yeah. are people they have picked and 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 if you don't believe in that i mean i guess it, but the duty know. is to stand up you know that, that's, not going that's anywhere. the duty right it's you know you as you you served your country in the military well this is another form of serving your country and i think it, it couldn't be more important you i know, think in many ways it is it that way yeah and and the freedom it's i talk people tell me all the time they said do you miss being uniform fred i i said there's parts of i miss but i also don't miss the part where i'm allowed to say what i want and fight mm -hmm. this battle in a way that that needs to be fought i love my peers in the military i love I love what they do, but there's a battle being joined that they're not they're not the right ones for that job. It, the military isn't the answer to everything. Sometimes it's passionate people who can say f bombs every now and then, <laughs> you know, and be honest. You know, I, I would rather the military. It's like it's like I talk about a lot. Of people say, well, why isn't Biden? President Biden out there swinging and I don't want President Biden in the dirt with us. You know, he he should stay above it. Let let us guys who are guerrilla fighters fight that war. And yeah. I'd rather he go lead things and stab it. So, well, thank you. Tell everybody where they can find your newsletter, find you, sir. And uh, I'm sure there are a lot more thank people you. to follow so, you. Yeah. So it's America, America. It's at america.substack.com. You know, that's where the longer form writing happens three times a week. Yep. You know, there's where you'll find media misses every week. Great. Um, you know, you'll find me all over social media as well. Well, I appreciate you, sir. It's been, a, it's just a joy to get a chance to talk to you. I've been a fan for a long time. And I guess the, when I joined, I joined Substack and yours is the one, first one that was suggested and the first one I signed up for. <laughs> so I appreciate you. And I appreciate your time and jumping on here with us to talk about this. But it's just keep up the fight. That's all we can do, right? 
That's all we can do. My pleasure to be with you. Yeah, Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thank you. We'll talk to you again soon. What a great discussion. I've been a fan of Stevens for a while. If you haven't, America, America's the newsletter. Uh, he's just, he's very, he, unlike me, he's very good about being on time and sending it out regularly. You know me, I'm a little bit bumpy. I, I, I love you guys, but I apologize for that. I have to write when the mood strikes me. Uh, as always, you can find our, I would love you to follow our Substack, uh, fpwellman.substack.com. Um, I've been generating a lot more content there. I'm enjoying it more. We're doing some fun stuff on there. I'd love you to be a paid subscriber as we, we go through the world. It does help us keep doing this work right here uh, and supporting us. As always with Forgotten Democrats, I don't talk about it a lot, Leo, and, I, and that's a mistake on my part because, I don't know, multi-million dollar lawsuits are things going <laughs> There's a lot there's a lot going on. Who knew? I don't know why. Uh, but uh, but as always, I would love you to check out Forgotten Democrats. We do have a town hall coming up. I can't wait. I'm going to bring a friend in. Uh, you know, this is the idea that we will crowdsource and crowdfund those congressional, Democratic congressional nominees who have the biggest need first. Uh, and so support them and their efforts because because frankly so many 126 were underfunded 2023 um republicans ran unopposed last cycle we, we can't keep doing that and so the forgotten democrats is very clearly dedicated to that idea the idea that we should fund those who need the money um amongst us first uh with those at least first so check it out that's forgottendemocrats.com or dot um org you can see it on the screen in the meantime man i really appreciate you being here if you if you uh, help us with the algorithm uh, on youtube and on our of course apple spotify wherever just hit a like hit a share write a great review we'd love to hear from you um, i'd love you to say hi as always in the comments i try to i try to answer a lot of people it gets pretty crazy sometimes when the when the replies get in the, the the thousands which is um just incredibly humbling um and I want to thank everyone who's been supportive of our efforts with our with our lawsuit from Mr. Flynn. Um, you know, this ridiculous lawsuit. We're getting ready to start dropping our filings now. Uh, people have asked, a lot of people have asked me, so I shall tell you an update that that we will be fighting back. Um, we will be asking for dismissal with prejudice. Um, what he's doing is clearly an attempt to, to stop free speech. Uh, and I'm not here for it. I'm not here for it. You know, a, a friend of mine said, uh, uh, yeah, I love what he said, there's, there's, there, there's nothing more dangerous than a man with zero fucks and very few assets. I am that guy. <laughs> okay. I have zero fucks and no assets. And so if you want to mess with me and try and take away what, what little I have and the, and the way I support my family, bring it. Absolutely bring it. Because we are fighting for something much more important, which is the, 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 the soul of our nation. And people who think they can simply use our legal system to intimidate and scare people out of their free speech, they met the wrong freaking guy. I ain't it. So... Thank you for your support. Those who have donated even a little bit to our legal defense fund, we're in great shape for our first phase of the operation. So just thank you from the, the very bottom of my heart for all the support you always give this wonderful community for around the On Democracy podcast and show. Just It just means the world to me. So with that, thanks for joining us. We will see you next week with another great show.